This morning is October 22nd. It is Sunday morning. Uh, Brother Nicholas Slaughter is going to bless us this morning. Y'all know Nick and know what kind of character he has. I want to assure you this is not Breck League. Do y'all know what Breck League is? Breck League in Louisiana is where all the little kids get to play. You, you pass everybody through on the bench whether or not they can play or not. That's not what's happening. Can anybody doubt when they look at Nick's life that this man is called? Yeah. No, I, you can't doubt that. And uh, from the moment that I met him, I've been impressed with his character. It's not important to me that he doesn't have all of the little details right yet. He's not supposed to. Neither, neither do I. And friends, I, I hope I don't hurt your feelings, but neither do you. We, we live in the hope that each day our lives will become more like Jesus. So he's not standing up here as the model of perfection, telling you all how to live. That's some other church in some other place. He's standing up here as a man fully acquainted with weaknesses, just like you, and yet moved by the power of God. And you'll see that when he speaks. I can see it when he's just sitting in the room. And the next best part about Nick is his wife, Lindy, over there, who carries their unborn child. So uh, I encourage you all to give him all the love that you show me every week, all the mercy that you show me every week. I'm looking forward to sitting right over there by my son Judah and learning this morning. But I wanted to read you one quick thing that came to me during worship. When we worship in this place, I want you to understand something. God is not a big angry God. You are not sinners in the hands of an angry God. I love some of those old messages. I know it created a great awakening in this country. Jonathan Edwards and Cotton Mathers and all those guys had their day. And if you don't know who those guys are, then talk to Brad after the service. He'll tell you about it. What I am fully impressed with is that when a heart begins to turn, teshuba, repent towards God, change your course and start to try to follow His course, regardless of how well you are doing, when that's truly your heart's intention, God is pleased with you. He's shining upon you. We need to push out of our minds the idea that He's somehow angry, that you never quite measure up. He knows that. He knew that when, you, when He created you. He knew that when He called you. He knows that as He's sanctifying you. What he's looking for is a heart that is unyielding and following him. Not that you get it all perfect. You know? I mean, otherwise, what would our hope be? Here's the ironic blessing. And I want you to hear this, okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. This is what the priests of God on earth, 1600 B.C., were taught to teach their fellow man. The Lord bless you and keep you. doesn't say the Lord's angry with you and He wants to stomp you. It says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This is the kind of thing that should mold how you think God thinks about you. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants His face to shine upon you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you shalom. That sense that everything is right with God and man. Well, when Nick and I spend time together, there are, I'm sure there are things in his life that uh, are not quite right. I know he sees things in my life that are not quite right. But can anybody doubt that God is blessing him, keeping him, making his countenance to shine upon him? And more than anything, when I met Nick, he was an excitable guy all over the place. I sense a peace in him that is doing nothing growing. It's enveloped his whole household. And you watch. He, he'll walk in that all of his life, and he's going to teach us about that today. So y'all say amen. Stretch your hands towards Nick. Let's pray for him, and then we'll... Switch over and let him uh, preach. Holy God, we bless your Son. He's blessed already. 
Lord, but we bless Him again with all that You've given us, with the deposit that is within us. Lord, with Your heavenly power that we've tasted of, we stretch forth our hands and we bless this man. Lord, we thank You for him. We thank You for his parents. We thank You for him. We thank You for his brother. Lord, we thank You for the work that You began long before he was born in his life. Holy, holy one, I can sense Your hand at work in his life for a very, very long time. We thank You for Him. Lord, more than anything, we pray that You would carry Him along like a prophet of old now. By Your Spirit, that as He opens His mouth, Lord, and we hear Nick's personality, we would also hear Your truth. Let Your power pour from Him this day that Your children might be fed. Lord, we are Your kids. We're children of Abraham by faith in the name of Jesus, and we're asking to be fed this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My desired outcome of preaching today is not so that people can say, and this is a thought, and I know it, and it'd be you know, uh, ignorant not to think that this is what's going on in a lot of people's heads. Uh, but when I'm done, I'm not up here preaching so that people can go, you know what, Nick did a good job. Maybe he's got a calling on his life, because I, I can really see that in him. Um, that's not my goal today, because I don't need um, man to reinforce in me what God has placed inside my heart. And uh, that's not saying anything against you guys at all. But what it's saying is concentrate more on the words and what God is speaking to you rather than the job that I do today because it doesn't matter how I do. I could stand up here and, and be monotone and, and not move, be old and wrinkly. It doesn't matter what happens. There you go. So um, you guys just listen to the words and if they, if they uh, are in tune with your heart and with uh, the Spirit of the Lord inside of you, just take it for what it's worth. So... Uh, Okay, I've got one more joke and then I'll get to serious stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay, there were two little troublesome kids in this one town. Everyone knew that they were the troublesome kids, okay? One was eight and one was ten. All right? So the mom was just furious. She was fed up, you know. Every single time there was any kind of trouble that had been going on, those kids were the ones to blame. So uh, anyways, this mom had heard of this certain pastor who was really good at disciplining trouble, troublesome kids. So she called him up one day and she said, Hey, can, uh, can little Billy come in and, and talk with you? And he said, Yeah, that's fine. So uh, anyways, little Billy came up there one day, eight years old, and uh, he was the first one to go in. Walking through the door in this giant pastor's office with this huge leather chair and uh, this big, tall guy. Um, so uh, little Billy went and sat in his little seat and the uh, pastor looked at him, stared him down for a little while, and then in a deep, booming voice he said, where is God? And the little boy's jaw dropped open and his eyes got real big and he kind of sunk down in his chair. The pastor looked at him and said, Where is God? And the little boy just stayed silent. One more time the pastor says, Where is God? And the kid jumps out of the chair, runs out screaming out of the door, runs all the way to his house, jumps inside the closet and hides there. His 10-year-old brother comes in, opens the door and says, Hey, what happened? And the little kid says, We are in big trouble. <laughs> God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been wrestling with what the title should be of this sermon. Uh, i got one or two so y'all can help me choose. Uh, it can be uh, either The Secret of Life or Too Much Teeter and Not Enough Totter. We're talking about balance. I love that, yeah. Too much teeter and not enough totter? Okay. 
Because <laughs> I'm wanting when people scroll by it, I want them to say, mm, that, ti- that title sounds interesting. It's got to stick out among the other hundred. Well, I've got an abundant amount of time today, and that is like a dream come true for a talkative person like me. Uh, but uh, I want to start off today. It, uh, what we are going to be talking about is balance, and um, this is something that for the past few years, the more and more that I think about it and contemplate about it, and um, pray about it, and let the Lord speak to my heart about it, the more that I realize that this really is the secret of life. You know, I, I remember seeing cartoons when I was little, and you know, Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, and they they roam all around the world. There's this one cartoon. They were looking for the secret of life. And, uh, you know, they finally went up to the top of the mountain, you know, in this giant castle building and, you know, walked in and they were so tired. We come to know the secret of life. And a uh, little go-go, and, uh, there's this little character, there's this little this wacky crazy guy that said, just go crazy. And then the little door opened and he went into crazy land. And I thought from then on, it was like, what is the secret of life, you know, in my heart? And I just kind of sat back there. If there. Is there one secret to life? And for the longest time I said... No, there can't be. It's just, uh, you know, just love God. That's, that's it. That's got to be the secret of life. And uh, I really felt Him impressing it upon my heart during my first year of Master's Commission when I was in Rockford, Illinois. In the last part of the year, uh, I really felt like God dropped it in my heart that balance is the secret of life. Now, I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like this is the word that the Lord has given me for today and for you guys. Uh, but balance is the avoidance of all extremes and the finding of an equilibrium to where things on either side, whatever the extreme would be on this side and the other extreme on this side, the balance in between the two, I believe that that is where you'll find God uh, in your life. So let me explain that further. Okay. i start off by saying everyone is trying to achieve balance. Now what I'm going to do is prove to you how important balance is in your life that maybe you haven't even ever thought of. Uh, first one, bank accounts. The term that they use, balance. What's my balance? I have people calling in. I work at IBC Bank, for those of you who don't know. I have people calling in 20, 25 times a day. Can, uh, can you get my balance? Sure. Uh, it's the same thing it was five minutes ago. It's, you know, it's still $25 in the hole. Okay. Well, okay. You know, and uh, everyone wants to check their balance. That's what, that's what the term uh, balance is referred to in banking. You want to know how much money you have in the bank. Okay. Next, inner peace. You see the people, you know, in Hollywood and in California and on their yoga, find your inner balance, you know, find the balance with the universe, you know, and uh, everyone's searching to find the balance. Cholesterol, your weight, uh, chemically with medicine. A lot of times doctors are referred to people as chemically imbalanced and they will need medicine to balance that back out so that they can be normal just like everyone else. Uh, So those are just a few of the little... uh, little ways that balance affects your life now let me talk let me go into uh, depth about uh, some different things that uh, I've learned about balance uh, over the course of the last few years uh, the college that we're going to U of H right now University of Houston we're taking a lot of classes that no one could specifically want to take all of these classes it's just something that they say you want a degree here's what you got to go through and so we're going through a lot of these classes one of the classes that uh, uh, fell into that category was history. So we're learning about the history of the United States. And um, before the Europeans got here, uh, before 1492 or whenever Christopher Columbus landed, couldn't tell you that, but uh, there were Indians here. 
And the Indians were here for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you look at the progression of technology, if you look at the progression of communication and transportation over the last hundred years in America, it's astounding. The Indians were here for hundreds of years. And when the Europeans got here, they were still doing the same thing that they had been doing for hundreds of years before. And I thought, you know what? I really don't have a lot of respect for those people because they could have been making advancements in all sorts of areas of life. And then uh, as the teacher began to explain how they lived their lives, I began to uh, change my view towards them and think, man, these guys are geniuses. The ways that the Indians would live, the things that they would do was they found the perfect balance in life with nature. They found the perfect balance to where they could live in an environment for as long as they wanted to and everything would replenish itself, the cycle would continue, and nothing was interfered. Okay, That's not how we live our lives today with our environments and with, with nature. We tear everything that we need and bottle it up or you know, grind it down and we get what we need to survive. Uh, but the more that I learned about those people, for instance, the technique that they would use to hunt was they would burn the brush <coughs> in the woods or in the forest so that they could hunt better instead of burning down trees or you know, leveling the whole playing field so that they could just shoot a deer you know, hundreds and hundreds of years with a bow and arrow or hundreds and hundreds of yards away with a bow and arrow. Um, so when we got here, we didn't understand what they were doing or why they were doing it, so we just said, eh, the heck with y'all, moved them all out and it uh, didn't make sense to us. But that was, I believe, America's first encounter with what true balance is, is finding that. And even though it wasn't spiritually balanced, I believe that they had found a balance physically. Uh, it made a lot of sense and was very impressive. Uh, the next um, goes a little bit into what I was just now talking about. The balance of nature and ecosystems and uh, different environments that animals live in all over the world. You hear so many times the Greenpeace people and the uh, tree huggers, they say, don't cut down our trees! And we think, move out of the way so we can cut down some trees. And uh, you know, a lot of the times it just doesn't make sense. And when they start talking about, well, you know, the animals have a certain kind of kingdom and they work a certain way. You know, there's the carnivores who attack and then, you know, we have the little, uh, the little ones that break down and decompose and so everything can just continue and just work well. Well, you know, people skim over that, but the way that that works, the science of how that process works is very incredible. How animals in a certain environment could really go on forever untouched because there is a cycle that lives, a balance that is achieved in that ecosystem. And it's very, very impressive, once again. Uh, the next thing, shapes of blood cells in the body. I don't know if anyone has ever heard about this, but they went into a scientific investigation of the blood cell. And they wanted to see if there was any other shape that it could have been to support life. Because for those of you who don't know, do I have markers down here? We've got a, uh, the blood cell, Craig, you would know this. And then it's, it looks like a donut, but it's filled in and it's pushed in into the middle, okay? So that's the shape, and it's a unique shape, and so people thought, well, you know, by chance, I guess it's that shape. They did an investigation, and they said that if there were any other shape than exactly the shape that it is, human life as we know it would not be able to survive. That shape had to be exactly constant. And then if you begin to discover and explore all the inner workings of the human body, the balance that is necessary to sustain life is unbelievable. It is absolutely incredible to look at all the things that have to be going on in our body, all the different kind of cells and mitochondria and flagellum and all these things that we just take for granted and don't ever think about. There are millions of tiny little parts in our body that are working together in a balance so that we can grow and learn and live and love and all these kind of things and emotions and everything that human ex humans experience, the things that make up our life. And we just forget about it. 
There, those are three really quick kinds of balances that I've just talked about. I've got a, a one more. But we don't ever even think about those things. It's just a balance. When things are balanced, you can focus on something else. You know what I mean? When someone calls in, yeah, sir, you've got uh, millions of dollars in your bank account. <laughs> All right. You know, he can go on and do whatever he wants to do. But the guy who's $400 in the hole, he's out of balance. And uh, he can't think about a lot of other things. The last one I want to tell you about, and this is the one that... Uh, I thought that I had remembered hearing a Carmen song. Does anyone remember Carmen? God's got an army. And, uh, but I thought that I had remembered a Carmen song where he was talking about uh, the, specifics of, the specifics of the universe and of the earth and gravity in reference to you know, the way that the solar And uh, But I found some things and I want to reference Lee Strobel. Uh, great, great author. If anyone is looking for a book to read, Case for Christ, A Case for Faith, and the case for a creator is the newest book. Okay, What he does is, besides using the Bible, he goes and logically tries to prove God and the argument for God and break down atheists, agnostics, all those other people's arguments against God. Incredible, credible book. Okay, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you some cool things about uh, the universe and the balance in the universe. Life on Earth could not be possible if the universe's expansion rate increased or decreased by one part in a trillion, 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 trillion. Okay, let me break that down so it makes sense. The universe is expanding. The Earth is expanding constantly. It's constantly expanding whether you know it or not. It is. Okay, there is a rate at which the Earth is expanding. Over time, since, you know, as far back as we can trace it, scientists have realized that the Earth is continually expanding. If the rate that is it, for, for instance, the way that you came here today, you were driving in your car. Say you're going 60 miles an hour. If the speed limit is 55 and you're going 56, that's one mile an hour over and technically you can get a ticket. Okay, so that's, that's what we're talking about here as far as the rate being increased or decreased by one part in a trillion, 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 trillion. Okay, if it was just to increase by even the slightest, life on earth would not be possible. Okay, I'm going to go through it. As, as, these things, uh, as these things pile up, you'll be more and more impressed. The, the universe possesses the exact balance of initial conditions and the, laws of, and the laws and parameters of physics to sustain life. Okay, I'm going to break down all these words in just a second. It is fine-tuned beyond human comprehension. Take gravity, for example. Imagine a linear radio dial that spans the universe. It is broken down into one-inch increments resulting in billions upon billions of inches, each representing a possible setting for the force of gravity. If you were to move the setting only one inch, the force of gravity would increase by a billion-fold. All living creatures would be crushed in an instant. Okay, so let's go back over that. There is a balance of conditions and laws and parameters that sustain life here on the Earth. Okay, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about that in a second. Okay, gravity, they take for example... You know, a uh, uh, radio dial, whenever you turn it and it moves, you know, 95, 7, 95, you know, 96.5, moves back and forth between those. Okay? There's one inch increments broken down in billions and billions stretching across the entire expanse of the universe. Okay? If you were to move the setting only one inch, these are billions and billions of inches. Okay? This is determining the, uh, the initial conditions, the laws uh, that govern life being able to be sustained on earth okay if you were to move that just a tiny tiny bit one inch the force of gravity would increase by a billion fold all living creatures would be crushed in an instant one more thing 
Okay, gravity and the constant rate that I was just talking about represent only two of more than 30 parameters that must be precisely calibrated in order for life to exist in the universe. Those two things, as astounding as the facts are that represent those things and that represent what needs to happen for life to exist on Earth, those are just two of 30. Okay? Now think about this. Let's say you walk into a dome, okay, like the Astrodome, representing the universe. It contains 30 dials scattered all over the place. Each dial has hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of settings on it. Each dial. Okay? You walk into the dome and then you walk back out. In one year, you come back. There was no, there was absolutely nothing living. There was nothing else in that dome. In one year, you come back and every single one of those dials is calibrated exactly the way that it needs to be to sustain life. That's the kind of balance that we're talking about in the universe. You say, that, does God care about balance? I think that He does. Because what they go on to say in this study and in this book is the universe is, is organized in such a way that encourages exploration. The universe is organized in such a way that says, seek me out, learn more about me, and you'll still never be able to find out all that's going on. This is the kind of balance that is taking place in this earth. We go about our lives, we think about the things that we're doing, and, you know, well, today I'm going to go to school, and then I've got to go to work, you know, or, you know, I've got to mow the backyard. Those are the things we think about. Meanwhile, these things that are beyond human comprehension in reference to the balance of the universe are going on without us even knowing. God has for us. This is the kind of balance that if we want to take the time to look at and think about and ponder, it's there for us too. And we're going to learn things that we never knew. Okay? The reason I've been telling you these things is because I want you to understand how important balance is in your life before I even go any further. These are the things that are happening to you and around you right now without you even knowing about it. Okay. Okay, we know, and I just, I just proposed that the secret of life is balance. That's what I think. Okay, so now I'm going to try and prove that to you. Everything that we know has a counterpart. Good and evil. Wrong and right. Pretty and ugly. Fast or slow. Rich or poor. Smart and dumb. Happy and sad. Even into the spiritual realm. Heaven and hell. Death and life. Angels and demons. Salvation and damnation. God and the devil. We look at these things, there's one on this far extreme and then another on this far extreme. Okay? Everything that we, uh, when we watch movies, we want to see the bad character and we want to see the good character. We want there to be balance and we want there to be some kind of struggle that's going on to achieve balance. Where good wins out in the end and balance is achieved and everything is the way that it's supposed to be. Okay? That's what we're looking for as humans. God has put that desire in us to see that happen. We want to see God bring everything under His submission. We want to see that with our eyes. Even though it's done, we want to see that with our eyes. Okay? Let's name some things that we strive for as Christians. A lot of things people say, you know, let's name some things that the world, uh, you know, defines success as. But even, let's go a little bit further than that so that this argument holds a little bit of weight with you guys. Okay? Let's name some things that we strive for as Christians. I'm going to ask for you guys to tell do these markers not are these markers not supposed to be well, do you know, on this takes work okay that's fine okay okay alright things we strive for as Christians I'm going to need you guys to help so start thinking about it right now. things uh, for Christians <laughs> okay number one name something that you just as a regular everyday Christian strive for in your life holiness Say, holiness. holiness. 
Did you say right standing with God? Okay. Okay, someone else. Humility. Humility? Okay. Begin. Okay, begin thinking uh begin thinking about goals. Uh, goals that you're wanting to achieve with your life. Okay, resurrection, we'll say that. I'm talking about things like, let's say, health. Okay. Let's say uh, an education. Whether in school or not in school, you want to be educated, you want to learn, you want to know more things than you know right now. That's a desire in your heart. Okay. What else? Favor with God and man. People who love you and that you love, those kind of things. Favor, we'll just put favor. Seven, love. Peace among those around you. You say that those are, you know, when you can when you can come home from a day at work, and you walk into your house and everything is taken care of, and uh, you can sit down, prop your feet up, and just relax, and everything is peaceful. Is that not one of the most greatest feelings on earth? You can come home, know that your house is in order, know that things are taken care of, know that all your responsibilities, if you have some pending, can just be put on hold for a second and you have the time to just sit down, relax, reset, and have peace. Okay? Peace all around you. Okay? Wealth, education, health, people who love you, favor with God and man, a good name, peace among those around you. Uh, what else did we say? Resurrection, humility, okay, holiness. What if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you had all these things? All these things were yours. And not just yours theoretically, but yours physically. You could see these things. They were yours. Maybe you would be so happy that you would sound like this. If everyone has their Bible, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to start off with a little preface of Solomon. His dad warred with everyone around him. I counted, I mean, I look, there's probably more, but I counted about 14 battles and rebellions. And when David was young and Saul was still alive, there's reference in the scriptures of people chanting, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. That was when Saul was still alive. Okay, before David had defeated everyone around him. So I think we could, it's, we could suffice to say that David at least killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people Okay, in his reign. He did everything he could to destroy the enemies around him. Okay, David prayed, Psalm 72, if you want to look at it, he prayed for his son Solomon that great things would happen to him, that he would have favor with man, that he would be able to rest in God. And when uh, David died... He passed on to Solomon kingship, wealth, peace. He passed on to him uh, authority. And when Solomon became king and the Lord said to him, you can have anything you ask for. Just ask me. What do you want? I'll give you anything. And Solomon said, just give me wisdom to govern your people. And God said, I'll make you wiser than any man ever. And I'll give you more riches than any man will have ever had. 
because you didn't ask for it. And I'll give you peace among your enemies. And I'll give you a prosperous life. And so you look at Solomon and immediately some of the things that we see in his life are peace from his enemies. We see wealth beyond measure. Wisdom or education. You know, the most wisest man that ever lived. First you say, who's the wisest man that ever lived? Solomon's first thing that comes to your head. Okay? We see success. We see a good name. We see favor with God and man. He got to build the temple that inhabited God. That's what this guy did. Solomon. Okay? So let me go back to what I said right before we turn to this book. What if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you had all these things? What would you begin striving for? You've got all these things. You've got all the things that you're aiming towards in life. Okay? All these things that are, that are huge, that people will pay money for, will uh, go to, to teachings and, and rent and buy books and travel across the country or the world to find these things. You've got them. You wake up one day, you've got all these things. Maybe you would be so happy that you would sound like this. Ecclesiastes. The title of the first chapter is Everything is Meaningless. Okay? Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. So the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has, ne- has, enough, has never have enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Hey, look, it, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. What I'm going to do, if you can bear with me, I'm going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes and I'm going to talk about the things that we strive our whole lives for that one man has attained. So now we look and we say, okay, well, once I get to that place, what am I going to do? So we'll see where Solomon ends up. We'll see what happens as he talks about these things that he has attained. As he talks about these things that for generations to come from now until forever, people would be striving for these things that he has. So, we're looking at a man who has what we're striving for. And, um, you know, I think that we could pretty much say he's got it to the fullest. So, let's look and see at what he thinks about what he has. Because now, it's not just a pipe dream. He's living in it. Okay? Wisdom is meaningless is the next title of the little... um, segment of scriptures in Ecclesiastes. I'm moving to verse 12 right now. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. But this guy's this guy's got what we're looking for. How is that meaningless? Because, you know, we're basing our whole lives on trying to find these things. How in the world is that meaningless? Explain yourself, Solomon. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. 
For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I did everything I could to find out about what these verses were talking about. Read through commentaries, um, you know, did studies on the verses surrounding and the reference to verses in it. And basically what Solomon's saying is just as clear-cut as you're reading it. The stuff that he found in wisdom and in folly and madness and all these other things that are things that uh, different people chase after is a chasing after the wind. What does that mean? Chasing after the wind. It means it's useless. It's It's meaningless. Just like he says, laid out right there for you. Pleasures are meaningless. This is going on to chapter 2. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Move over to chapter 3 and verse 19. I'm going through it. And once again, my goal is to express to you what Solomon's mind or how Solomon's mind was operating after he had all these things that we strive for. Number 19. Man's fate, or man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because this is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? When we go to our jobs, when we do the things that it is that we do to gain money, okay, our goal is, as we go to it, alright, I want to do well in this so that I can move up, make a little bit more money, we can uh, you know, afford some of the things that we're wanting, I don't want to have to worry about you know, this or that, so just keep you know, putting my nose to the grindstone. One day I'll get it. One day I'll get to where I don't have to worry about you know, having to afford this. And I won't have to worry about money. And that'll be one less problem. And then I can focus on what God's life. You know what I mean? Because be honest. In here, while we're learning about these Scriptures, we sit down. You bring times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. And we say, oh Lord, You are great. I'll do anything for You. I'll go anywhere You want me to. I'll say anything You want me to. And You're worthy, God. You are worthy, Lord. Open the door, walk out. It's Monday morning, we wake up. Stupid job. Stupid, stupid job. I do not want to get out of bed. Slam the alarm clock down. You get up and eat breakfast. You're thinking, same old cereal I eat every day. Isn't there anything to eat in this house? You get up and you go to your work. The same person annoys you. The same thing gets on your nerves that it has every day. Man, I can't wait until I move up in this job. I can't wait until I have enough money to where I don't have to work. And I don't have to bother with you people. I don't have to bother with getting up in the morning. I can sleep in when I want to. Those kind of things. Is that not a completely polar opposite to what you were saying right over there? To what you were standing and proclaiming in front of God in the heavens? Here's some good things. Uh, Let's go to verse 10, chapter 4. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Man, I've been there. 
Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But I'll tell you what, let's go back to that. Let me explain why I said that. Because God allows me to be in that position. It's not saying that I don't have friends who are loyal to me. It's not saying that I don't have people who will pick me up. But what's saying is, God's going to say, for right now, you know what? Even though this is bringing you comfort and this is bringing you security, I'm going to bring you to a place where you can find out that I'm the only way that you're going to be able to survive and live the life that you are striving towards. So God allows you to be down on the ground with no one to pick you up. You feel like you're in a hopeless situation and you're looking up to the sky on your back and you're thinking, what a horrible, horrible place I'm in. What am I going to do? No one's here to pick me up. No one's here to help me. Those people said they were my friends, but they're not here to help me. Where are they now? The people who had said that they would comfort me and be there for me and were loyal to me, where are they now that I'm flat on my back? I've embarrassed myself. I've done things that I'm ashamed of, but I'm flat on my back. And those people who said that they would be here for me now in this moment are nowhere to be found. Let's go back. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know what we see in Ecclesiastes as Solomon goes through? This is not just condemning life as a whole. He's not just attacking everything that encompasses what we call life. What he's doing is he's putting things into perspective. He's going through and he's not thinking, you know, he's not giving you a place to stand on where you can say, well, you know, Ecclesiastes is basically just Solomon whining and complaining about life and, uh, you know, just saying how things don't matter. You can see in here that he's talking reason, that there is, you know, understanding, there is wisdom in the things that he's saying. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's a principle that people use in business today. That's, those are things that, uh, you know, people claim as their own and make millions off of it. The things that Solomon is saying in here. Okay? Now, for, uh, for us younger guys, those under 80 in here, uh, let's read down to verse 13. Advancement is meaningless is the title. Anyone else have any titles different than that in their Bible? Advancement is meaningless? Transience of popularity. That's very, very good. Transience of popularity. Let's keep these things in mind and in perspective too as we read uh, from 13 to 16. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king, replace king with any other noun that you can think of, who no longer knows how to take warning. Replace warning with correction, advice, anything that you can think of. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or to a place of authority, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Do everything you can to reach a position. Do everything you can to get into a place of authority. And as much as you think that after you get into that place, you will have commanded, demanded, and earned everyone's respect under you, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because that's not where we're supposed to find our security as Christians. That's not where we're supposed to find who we are in our positions of authority. That's not what God has for us. Move down to verse 8 in chapter 5. If you see the the poor... Mine says riches are meaningless here. If you see the poor oppressed... What does yours say, Craig? Wealth is 
satisfied. Wealth is not satisfied. Futility of wealth. Okay? Keep those things in mind. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Think. Fool yourself into thinking that once I get this certain amount of money, then from then on, man, I will be set. Uh, who is the uh, man? Smith, Migglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth talks about um, before he jumped onto his journey and uh, what Christ's calling was for him. He was making about, what, $70,000 a year being a plumber. Plumbers were in very high demand back in his day. So he was banking. He was going back and forth. And the Lord said to him, Smith, I want you to do this. And he's like... <laughs> I don't think so. I'm banking off being a plumber. And uh, God said, I want you to do this. And so Smith said to God, all right, I'll tell you what. I'll go and do ministry, but I don't ever want to make less than I did as a plumber. So from then on, he went through. And he says in his own book, from that year on, I never made less than I did as a plumber, but I never was in need of God to supply financially for me than ever before. He had more money but he was now in more need for God to supply him with money than ever before. Suffice it to say that he had more than seventy-something thousand dollars, is what he's saying. He was earning more in the time of ministry than seventy thousand dollars. Okay, he's one man and he had a wife. Did he have any kids? No kids. More than seventy thousand dollars, but he was still. Did, did he have kids? Okay, whatever. He had more than seventy thousand dollars, and it was back in the day. And uh, you know, he was still in financial need. That's what I'm trying to express. Okay, there's not, a certain, uh, there's not a certain salary that you can achieve. There's not enough times you can go and sit down in your boss's office and say, you know what, <laughs> I feel like I'm worth more than you're paying me. Uh, you know what, Bill, I don't think you are. <laughs> Please? <laughs> All right, here's another $1,000 a year. Sweet, you know. What does that $1,000 mean? Even if it's 100000 If you're living your life the way that God wants you to, do you think that he's going to allow you to get to a place where, he's, where you say, man, buy a home theater system, buy me a giant pool in the back, jacuzzis in every room, big screen plasma TVs. These are the things that I want in my house. And once I get all those, I'm going to be set. I never have to spend any money again except on gas, food, maybe vacations for my luxurious life. That's what we think. Those are the things that are in the back of our mind. If we're just drop dead on it, we think... I just need to get enough money to where I can do these things and I promise, Lord, I won't want to spend any more than that. Just give me this certain amount of money and I'll be good from then on, okay? I'll be able to relax. I can give to people, Lord. I'll give a bunch to people, Lord. And I, I guarantee I'll keep tithing. I guarantee I'll keep tithing. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That sounds familiar. This too is meaningless. Moreover, verse 19 in chapter 5, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. Now let's find the key active words in that verse. And enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work. When God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. 
It's not saying when God gives you a bunch of money and a lot of possessions and you start being happy, that's a gift from God. What he's saying is when God basically gives you anything more than nothing and you're happy and can enjoy what you got, that's a gift. Okay? Remember that my, uh, my goal in telling you these things is to reach to a place where we understand that these things that we're striving for is not what will bring us that balance in our life that we're trying to achieve. The balance is found and can be found right now where you are in your exact place in life. And there is no secret. There is no special tactic or tricks or certain amount of money that you've got to earn to get to a place where your life is now fulfilling, where your life is now something that you enjoy to wake up to. Okay? Alright, uh, let's move to chapter 11. Almost done here. Verse 7. Tell me when you're there. Okay. Chapter 11. Down on verse 7, I have the title, Remember Your Creator While You're Young. Do you have anything else? Advice for what? Advice for old and young. That's good. Chapter 11, verse 7, yes. That's incredible. Uh, Verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Jeez. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Talk about balancing statements. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. That stinks for me because I'm young and I like to think I'm vigorous. I don't, I'm not too good of a, I'm, I think I'm vigorous. I would say that I'm vigorous. But, uh, <laughs> it stinks because uh, I thought that I had that working for me. I thought that I had that going for me. Man, I got plenty of time. I'm in a great position because I have time to now gradually grow to where I think I should be in the Lord. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, I think maybe what a better mindset to take on would be, you know what, I should be living my life to where I exhaust myself for the kingdom of God right now. And if I continue, who cares how old I am because I'll be living that exact same life. It doesn't matter what kind of things that I'm doing because it's not about that. It's not about me whenever I go into a, you know, a situation and talk with someone and I say, man, you know what? You shouldn't have been treating him like that. You shouldn't have been doing this and that. And we get concerned with the drama and all these things in the world and we think, you know what? Man, God, you're bringing me to a place of equilibrium where I'll be able to one day just do your will. I'm waiting for that one day, that one event to come while we're getting caught up in all the drama of the world. We're doing all these things. We're thinking, hey, I'm still young. I've still got that working for me. I've got time to do this and do that. You know what? I'm going to sleep the rest of the day because I deserve it. I've been working hard and I need my rest because I cannot survive without my rest. I've got to get in that 10 hours. Let's move on to chapter 12. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. I guess that that means 
if the clouds are going to return after the rain, that I might not be able to sit and soak up the good moments for as long as I might want to. I guess that that means if something terrible and traumatic happens in my life, that God does not have a set break for me to take in between when He will call me to do the next thing that challenges me. I guess that that means that when we go through something that shakes our faith to the very core, that makes us say, God, do you even still care? How can these things happen to me and to the ones that I love? But you know what, God? And this is the progression over a certain amount of time. I'm going to love you still. Break open the clouds and let the rainbow shine through, Lord. And then the clouds come back. And it gets overcast again. Wait, God, I'm not enjoying this time of peace. And I'm not enjoying this time of not having to worry about that kind of stuff. And it starts raining again. And then we realize, if this is the kind of life that I have to live as a Christian, are you hearing what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? Let me tell you where Solomon, who has said these kind of things that touch each and every kind of place that we will come to in our spiritual lives. Let me tell you where Solomon has come to after being one of the wisest men in the world, rich beyond human comprehension, okay? After having a good name, favor with God and man, getting to do all these things. He's a great man, great man, did great things. After getting to all these things, what is this man that we're studying, that we're diving into his life, dividing up the things that he's done and interpreting what he means when he tells us these kind of words, what does he leave us with? What is the very final thing that he says? Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Alright, this is the climax. This is what we've been building to. Everything is culminating to this point. What are these great, wise words that give us this long speech of what we need to do? Give us a three-point sermon. We need to have one, two, three, four, five, six. This is what we need to get in the bank. This is how we need to treat our wives. This is how much we need to exercise. Tell us, Solomon. Go ahead. What's the wisest thing you can tell us? Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His things. We must watch the things that we say so that they are uplifting, compromise, destroy what God is growing inside our garden. That is terrible. As long as, long as I have my devotion in the morning, it's alright if I watch this movie. It's alright if I say this joke. It's alright if I think these things. It's alright if I make this gesture or even hint at this evil thing that the devil is bringing into your mind to speak out loud. You speak it out loud, all of a sudden you're tainting someone else. Leave it in your own self. If you want to deal with that kind of stuff, leave it in your own self. Don't bring it out and punish the rest of the people around you. I'm speaking to myself just as much as anyone else here. Okay? Remember what I told you in the beginning. This is not about me speaking or doing a good job. These are about the words that the Lord is speaking and wants to tell us as a church. This doesn't have anything to do with any individual. It has to do with us as a whole because we are a family. We are a core of believers who are supposed to unite together and sharpen one another to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, so, after, after Solomon has canceled everything out, after Solomon has told us, hey, it's not where you're looking. Okay, after that, I think that it's, it's pretty safe to say that he says, 
following the Lord, fearing Him, and obeying His commandments are good. All right, but you need more than that. And I want to give you some more of that before you leave. Because if you just try to ride on two little things and you don't have some explanation and some defining of what they mean, you're going to go out of here and they'll stick with you for as long as until you get the check and then you'll be out. But let me, let me uh, have you guys turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1. <laughs> Are y'all getting something out of this? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Hebrews 12. All right, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here we go. This is what we're supposed to do. Listen up. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Hmm. I think that what we were just now talking about could probably fall under a sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's some encouragement. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. What is our joy? Our joy and hope is found in the... Resurrection. Yes, sir. (laughs) Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There it is. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't get tired of dealing with those same punks at work or those same people at the little coffee shop that you go to. Don't get tired of dealing with them. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Don't lose heart. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men guarantee you it wasn't worse than what Jesus went through. Alright? Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 8. Whew. Tell me when you're there. there. I guess it would be better to say tell me when, if you're not there. Because some people can say there. That's like when the teachers at the front say, do you guys get it? And the one nerd in the corner, yes. And then he's okay, we're moving on. And everyone's like, I don't understand. You know, but no one speaks up. So, is anyone not there? All right, here we go. For you were once darkness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Children, innocence, light, goodness. Live as innocent and good people. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Search out what pleases the Lord. Don't take some book that someone writes and think, this is what I have to do to please the Lord. Fantastic. Cuts the work out for me. I don't even have to worry about it anymore. Find out. You find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. The devil hates it when he's brought out into light. When I say, you know what, guys? I've been having trouble looking at pornography and it's ruining my marriage and my wife doesn't even know it. Or when you say, you know what, guys? I've been harboring bitterness towards this person in the church, towards you, my friend, and I'm sorry and I want to expose it in front of everyone because I'm sure that I've said things that are hateful and that are backbiting to others and to you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's embarrassing to you in the moment, but it does wonders in the spiritual realm. For it is shameful even, even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, 
Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. John Hagee, where are you at? The days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. That's what we're supposed to do. We're given opportunities every single day. You think that you don't have an opportunity? Maybe you already passed up one that would have given you many to begin with. I'm watching TV all day. What opportunity does this guy give me? Maybe at the very beginning of the day, he told you, go out and talk to your neighbor because I have some things that I need you to tell him. And opportunities would have begun popping up all over the place as you walked along the path that God had paid for you for the day. Okay. One more. Colossians 3. Hang with me. I've got a couple more minutes. Ooh, this is good. Colossians 3. What's the title anyone has? Rules for Holy Living. Sounds kind of uh, universal all across the board. Here we go. Rules for Holy Living. You want to know? Take notes or open your Bible. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What are earthly things? I would say that they're things that don't agree with the character of God. What are things that don't agree with the character of God? Well, as Christians, we have a deposit in us that is called the Holy Spirit who testifies to what God is feeling. And if we are thinking things and setting our minds on things, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, don't do those. Don't do those. I would say that those kind of things are earthly things. That's just my opinion. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Here we go. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Men, are you looking at other ladies that pass by instead of your wife? Oh, it's just a thought. I'm not really going to act on it. It doesn't really have any kind of harm. Here we go. But now... Oh, no, I don't want to skip one. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, rage. Let's give some examples real quick. In the car, during traffic, uh, when your wife does things or your husband does things that you don't agree with, you don't understand, but you have to comply with. Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't just think of cuss words. Do not lie to each other. Uh, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Oh man, that's good. Let's get down to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, we've, known, we, we've understood and, and learned what's bad, so what should we focus on? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is what you're supposed to strive for, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. A wise woman named Lindy once told me that if we were to harbor bitterness against someone else, think about that person right now, someone that you're bitter against. Son of a gun, I can't. Think about that. You harbor bitterness in your heart. Most likely, they don't know it. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Okay? Think about that. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Number 14, this is the culmination. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, uh, this life is about you. Do not worry about someone else. What decisions will you make? Okay, it's not, this is not about, man, you know who should have been here to hear this today? They really need that. That, is, that was some good stuff for them. Alright, Matthew 7 teaches us, concentrate on the, not rather than the speck in our neighbor's eye, but in the plank in our own eye. There's a lesson to be learned from that. Okay, well I'm going to close up. Uh, I just want you guys to know that the overall theme of balance, I believe that in being the secret of life, this is what I think, with balance as the secret of life, balance is not something that once you jump on, now everything is good. Balance is something that is always needing to be worked at. It's something that you'll never just get to until the next life comes. So, constantly be looking to where you can balance things out. You're never going to get to a place where you can prop your feet up, watch TV all day long, and be happy with your spiritual relationship with God. You've got to continue to try and balance every aspect of your life. And when you don't, those little imbalanced things will begin to be obstacles on your walk with God. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we lift Your name up, Lord. You are worthy to be praised. We call You good. We call You our controller. We call You the One who has good things in mind for us. We call You our Father, our Daddy, Abba. Lord God, we thank You for the words that You have brought today. I pray that they would find their way into hearts. Lord, every single piece of us needs to be owned by You. We cannot harbor bitterness. We cannot embrace the things of this world and we must put down selfish desires. We cannot focus on the things that the world calls good and that the world says that we should attain. We must focus on finding balance in You. And we can only do it through You. So we appreciate You, God, and we love You. Help us to take these things to heart and live them out. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Alright, y'all. We're, we're going to close here. And uh, I just wanted to echo something that Nick said. Stay here, Nick. When the world thinks of balance, they think of things like a yin and, yin and yang principle. They think of uh, zen-like principles. Well, I do some things that are bad, but the good that I do balances it out. The kind of balance Nick is talking about is an entirely different equation. It's anything that you do that is not what God wants for you. Anything that you don't do that God wants for you to do. Either of those two principles, you're out of balance with God. You know, one of the ways that... Uh, we find ourselves comfortable in this church cutting against the grain so often is with the feeling that you're in balance with your Creator. You're doing what He wants you to do. doesn't matter whether everybody else accepts you because you know He does. Let me tell you, the worst place in life to be is to know what God wants of you and to know that that is not what you're doing. That's not balance. Solomon had every opportunity, everything afforded him in his whole life. And there's a hill today in Israel that the United Nations uh, Embassy actually sits on called the Hill of Unfaithfulness where he sacrificed human beings to foreign gods uh, during his life. And when you read Ecclesiastes, it's very important that you do what Nick did. You take a perspective of the entire book. He examines everything that men find uh, per themselves pursuing in life. 
and finds out there's no joy in any of it if that is your pursuit. The only place he ever found joy was in fearing God, keeping his commandments. And then your job where they're punks at and all, suddenly you see purpose in it. You see meaning. You're excited about it. You can be happy to go cut your grass even if you hate to cut the grass because suddenly your life has a whole new dimension to it. Does that make sense to y'all? Y'all love Nick? Y'all glad he got a chance to share his heart? I love to get to see this because what you're seeing are the next preachers that will shake the world beginning.